today that we have you here with us to start out this new year and I'm thankful not just for those who are here in person but also those who are able to join us wherever you are. Throughout the week I hear from people who were not physically in the service with us but who comment on the messages because they joined us through social media, some form of it. And if you didn't ever think of a reason to thank God for COVID, you ought to thank God for COVID for that because it's brought people to us who wouldn't ordinarily be a part of our service and they come regularly and they're not all in Birmingham. Some are in other states who come to our service every Sunday. Every Sunday. Not only do they come to our service, they come to Bible study and talk about Bible study all because we're able to do that None of that would be possible without our team doing that. And I want to thank, I want to thank a couple more team members who make that possible. I thank God for being able to be in ministry with my son, Anthony. Thank you. Thank God for he makes it happen. He makes it happen. Deacon Pooh is the one who makes it happen for us. Deacon Anthony is the one who's making it happen right now for us. Even when we have technological issues, he still gets in there and makes it possible so that we don't miss a beat. And I want to thank him for doing that. He operates as our production manager, if you will. You will. He makes it happen. So bless you for that. And, and I thank God for his dedication, how he helps. You don't know this, how he helps direct me. Tell me what to do, how to do it, when to do it. I, I'm fine. I take direction. I was in the army. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. You know more. Tell me. Don't let me step in a hole. Don't let me get in places. Help me. Help me to be better. Don't let me. You know. You hear all my bosses up here all day long, telling me what to do. And I thank God for that. I also want to thank God for Jeremiah, for his dedication in so many ways. So many ways, so many ways. Jeremiah, yeah. Well, you ain't got to thank Jeremiah. Jeremiah thank himself. Yeah. Shoot, I know I be doing a good job. Shoot, you ain't got to worry about that. Go on. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremiah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So many people operate to make uh, church function in the way that it should. So many people behind the scenes who do wonderful work every day to make sure we're here. You, you see them silently going about doing what they do. Um, I don't know if you saw Mildred Dixon and her crew get up and go and take care of the kids in God's little angel in the nursery so that parents can sit here and um, be a part of the service without having to parent actively at that time. That's a blessing for us to have that. Um, 
because usually when a child is in the service, it's not as distracting to us as it is to the parent who's trying to control them. So we thank God uh, for the work that they do. Thank God for that. And I see Theris got up to run back there to help on the computer. We appreciate that. Um, and the sermon series, I'm going to start, not today. Today, the sermon is going to be interesting. Uh, uh, God has just blown me away today in this service. He can surprise even the preacher in the service, and you're going to see in a minute. But a sermon series, we're going to start uh, next Sunday. Something the Lord has been stepping on me and my spirit about for a while. Uh, the sermon series is going to be entitled uh, The Good Life. The Good Life. Yeah, The Good Life. And it's going to be a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. All right? You might not know how that goes together. That's why you come to church. So we can preach to you about that. The basics of being a part of God's Christian family is what we need and not just from a surface standpoint, we need to get down into the details on how we live the way uh, the Lord wants us to live. And so the good life will start, uh, Lord's will, next Sunday, next Sunday. But today, um, there's a sermon that the Lord has given me uh, to help us, I guess, get started with the new year. It's grounded in a scripture that's First Chronicles chapter 29. Verses 10 through 13 talks about David. David, one of the favorite sons of the Bible. David, First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. If you'll let me read it in your hearing. Some of you have Bibles that I hear you turning the pages on. I want you to keep doing that. I'd love to hear pages turning. All right. And if you're looking for it, sorry, just say you don't have it yet. We'll wait on you. Should also be displayed, probably. And the word of God reads as follows David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Thus ends the reading of the scripture. We are in a space in our community where there's a whole lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff. A lot of things going on. And everywhere and every town, probably in Alabama, certainly here in Birmingham, 
There are informal gathering places where people sit around and talk about the latest issues, political issues. Men in our community, African-American community, that gathering space for most folk is called the barbershop. Yeah, you you better be strong when you go, or maybe the beauty shop. I don't know. I don't. I, I ain't been in no beauty shop, um, but I know you better be strong and have a strong constitution when you walk up in a barbershop. Yeah, either you gonna contribute and be debated, <laughs> or you are gonna be quiet. That's how it is. If you don't, if you don't, if you can't stand yourself there, stand on your conversation. Then I guarantee you there's going to be somebody who's going to basically tell you, sometimes not so nice, be quiet. But we talk about the issues, and people have strong opinions. Strong opinions. I call my barbershop Switzerland. All right? Switzerland. It's Switzerland. You come up in here. All right? It's peaceful. I don't care who you for. I don't care who you support. When we come in here, it's Switzerland. All right? We're not getting on nobody's side. Don't matter who you work for, <laughs> all right, uh, and that's because there are plenty of us who go in there who I've worked for all the administrations <laughs> for the last few years, which means when they were running for office i'm I'm stuck in the middle. I would have been I'd had an afro out the door if I couldn't go to the barbershop if people only want to come talk to you about those issues. so when we come in there, you can't be talking about that. all right, this is Switzerland this is we can talk, but you can't be getting mad at folks. That's how it is. That's how it is. Now, one of the things that we've heard over and over again, it's consistent in these conversations, is how messed up our community is. All right, that's all we hear. How messed up it is. Yeah, it's messed up. Uh, and not only that, we got not just local issues, we got foreign issues. You know, we got national issues, and everybody wants to have a word on that. People have financial insecurity. There's rampant immorality. There's always some discussion about what one generation is doing as opposed to another generation until a few years pass by. And then generation that was doing the talking is getting talked about. I mean, it's it's just how it is in those places. It is a cycle. That's exactly uh, what it is. And there are a lot of conversation about and the word chaos is used all the time. It's just in chaos. Yeah, doesn't matter who's in office or what they're doing, it's in chaos. But what I came to tell you today is we talk about this stuff like it's new. Do you know that Jesus lived at a time that was very similar to ours? It was complete and utter, by our standards, chaos. Jesus didn't live, according to the Bible, in a pristine world. He lived in a messy world. He lived in a world where there was a foreign power that had invaded the community that was ruling over it. There were slaves. There were people who were mistreated. There was poverty. There was sickness that could not be, um, uh, be resolved. There were so many problems. In fact, it was the perfect environment for somebody like Jesus. All right. Jesus came to that place and it wasn't perfect. And I came to tell you this morning that we have a perfect environment for talking to folk about Jesus. We ought to be sharing with them what's going on 
in a spiritual sense. People had the same issues then as we have now. And this man we talked about in this scripture, or this man who, who prayed this prayer, wasn't that an eloquent prayer that David prayed there in, according to Chronicles? But the backdrop of that prayer is interesting because David, who have who has, for many of you, been a central character in how you understand the Bible, you understand his Psalms, you understand his battles with uh, Goliath, you understand David's life perhaps better than many people do. David had the kind of life that by our modern standards would be considered successfully tragic. Okay, because David came from nothing. He was insignificant in his father's house. Uh, So much so that when God anointed him as the leader of the Israelites, he was overlooked by his own family. God came to his daddy's house to anoint the future king and paraded all of his sons in front of the priest. He said, I've come here, I'm paraphrasing, I've come here to select someone. The Lord sent me. Where are your sons? And daddy said about parading every one of his sons in front of the prophet. And, and one by one, the, 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 the priest would say, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. <laughs> it's not him. And they came in there, you know, primping and preening. And finally, in exasperation, the prophet said to him, "Is are these the only ones you got? And then, as if an afterthought, anybody in here ever felt like an afterthought? Like the whole world was going on in front of you and nobody ever thought about you. David was still just down in the sheepfold doing what they sent him to do that morning, taking care of sheep. And all of a sudden, his daddy said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, somebody here want a T-shirt that say, I'm oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, what about David? And David, somebody sits down there to send down there. Somebody got on the four-wheeler and rolled down to the sheepfold, brought him back up there, brought him back up there. He came up there looking grungy, smelling like sheep. Didn't nobody want to be around him. You know, they're trying to tell him before he go in the house, fix your hair before you go in there. There's a preacher in here. And he goes in there looking all wide-eyed, like what I do now, they're about to beat me again. I know I'm in trouble. Can't you just see the scene said his dad is sitting up there looking impatient because he's like, I ain't got but one more. And if it ain't this one, then ain't none of my sons going to be the king. And David walks in the door with sandals and mud all in his feet and everything. And the, and the, and the uh, priest looks at him one time and says, this is him. What an amazing turn of events for him. And you would imagine in a perfect world, in a TV world, Netflix, Prime TV world, he would be whisked away in a limousine at that point and taken to some glorious castle and dressed up into fine garb. But that ain't what happened. He went back to the sheepfold. Yeah. Prophet anointed him as the future king of Israel. But it wasn't his time yet to assume because Saul was still on the throne, being a fool, but he was on the throne. Saul wasn't always a fool, but he became that. And ain't no fool like a old, old fool. All right. 
And this same David, who I'm telling you about, is the one who prayed this prayer. What puts David, who was anointed as king, who finally slew the, the Philistine named Goliath and killed him and came to renown because of his prowess and his courage. This same David, who was king enough to, to take care of the battles that the Israelites fought, but was weak enough as a man to fall for a woman who was bathing on a roof across from, a roof across from him. It's the same David. See, you, you, you have a whole lot of imaginations when you sit down in a sheepfold. And when they take you from the sheep, be careful what you tell your children. You want them to do when you shelter them all their lives. All right. Because when you take them from the sheepfold and then you put them in the palace, there's a whole lot of things that can catch their attention in the palace. And not only do you have a whole lot of attention that can catch you, you have a whole lot of authority that you can try to hide it in. But it ain't a whole lot of folk trying to stop you from doing it. All right, because the devil has you right where he wants you. He has you in his past, in your passions. And when he saw that woman, he committed all sorts of immoral and illegal acts. The same David who was anointed to be the king. The same David who God put his hand on. The same David who God would later say is a man after my own heart. This same David took a woman, killed her husband. Went through that whole thing all for not lust, but love. He said, I think it was lust. All right. He said he loved it. Why do I say that? Because he's married. And then he had a son named Solomon. And that brings us to this story right here. This same Solomon. David comes to him after so many years of ups and downs in his life, emotionally and politically. And he says, Lord, you've been good to me. You've created in me a clean heart. And now this heart wants to build for you a temple. I want to build for you a temple that is more majestic than any temple that's ever been created. And the Lord tells this same David, no. What? A, what? No, 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 no. The Lord tells him, no. What? I, I just want to love you, Lord. See, David had a good idea, but he didn't have a godly idea. There's a difference. God told him, you got too much blood on your hand. After all these battles and things you fought, all these people you killed, you can't take them same hand and now build me a temple. You can't do that. David like most folk, would have been crushed by this. But David gave us a lesson that's our lesson for today. That's why I was sitting there chuckling and laughing when Cedric stood up to sing, because he didn't know. He couldn't know. I didn't tell nobody. The only person that could have seen it might have been the digital crew, when I deposited the sermon on the drive last night about nine o'clock, that the title of my sermon today is Let Go and Let God. Let Go and Let God is the name of the sermon. David wanted to build God's temple, one that would be built but instead of David being dejected and rejected, I'm talking to somebody who didn't get what they want in 2022. 
instead of them being him being rejected and going and pouting and sitting in his corner and, and not messing with anybody, David resolved to follow God's direction to see what he was doing. See, God had simply told him no to that, but not no to everything. And so God allowed David to work in the sphere that he could work to still represent him. David said, and I love this about him, even though God won't let me build his temple, I can still get the stuff ready for the temple to be built. I can still get all the material together. I can still get all the gold and silver and iron. I can still lay the foundation and plans for everybody. And I will do that with what God has blessed me with. Not only that, not only am I going to get all the stuff together, I'm going to go to the people and tell the people that this is what we plan to do for the Lord. And this prayer, this prayer came about because, watch this now, when David was working in the arena that God wanted him to work, he found more favor that he had ever found. When it wasn't just about David, he also found his purpose. And his purpose was to gather the people's focus on the Lord. David went to the people and said, I aim to prepare the material for a temple to be built for the Lord. And when he told them that, they dug so deeply in their pockets. And they came up so abundantly with material. They came up with money and resources. And by the time David had been, as the Bible said, gathered with his fathers, which meant he died. The preparation for the temple being built was already in place. And guess who was the one who was allowed to come and do it? His son. The one that came from that mama that he saw standing on the roof that day. Yeah, so God can take your mess up, your worst mess up, and he can still bless you beyond that mess up because he blessed him. He blessed him with an opportunity to create the possibility of a blessing down the road. Somebody ought to hear me today. He didn't build the temple, but the temple probably wouldn't have been built without him doing his part. He didn't get the credit for building the temple, but he showed it, put the labor in, getting it together. And by the time Solomon took the throne, everything was in place for the temple to be built. So what lessons, Reverend Sparks, do we get out of David's, in, uh, David's uh, activity with the Lord in this place? Well, it's simple. There's some very valuable lessons. If you let go of what happened yesterday and let God do what he's going to do today, then I guarantee you there's some things that are going to bless you and other folk. But you've got to learn how to let yesterday go. Some of you have already packaged up, put in a bundle, all your problems from 2022 and they already sitting on your doorstep for 2023 and you ready to carry them all the way through. And guess what? You're going to have the same baggage this year that you had last year. What you need to do is allow God to lay the blueprint for what's going to happen moving forward. And you need to stop trying to design what's going on, because in many instances, you just haven't heard it. But God has told you no. Yeah, God has told you, you got a good idea, but you don't have a godly idea. And what you want to do is line your purposes 
up with God's purposes. Some of us have been stuck for decades chasing our own idea. And God is, as we say in the South, gentleman enough to sit back and let you have your way. And you keep getting your same results because you are the one in charge. Never have you just let go and let God have his way. Now, some of you have been fooled because in your way, you seem to be making progress. You're living in that minute area that God allows you to live in, but you have never blossomed. The way that God would have you blossom if you let go and let him have his way. Let me tell you the first problem you're going to have uh, if you start taking this mature route. The first thing you're going to realize if you're going to let go and let God have his way is that because God is in control, and that's the essence here, who's in control of your life? It's going to be you or is it going to be the Lord? I came today to shout from this pulpit that you need to let God be in control. You need to learn how to let God be in control of your life. You are not the best manager of your life. All right. You may not even be a good manager of your life. In fact, if you were able to do it, you might fire yourself as manager of your life. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, if God is going to be in control of your life, like David allowed God to be in control of his life, then you're going to understand that because God's in control, my plans have a limit. Somebody ought to say amen. Say, my plans have a limit. That's right. That means you can plan, but you can only plan to the extent that what you want doesn't bump against what God wants. Because when you start letting your plan override what God wants, then you have problems. God is always going to be in control. Hear me. God is always going to be in control. Watch this. Proverbs 16 and 9 says, a man's heart devises his way, but it's the Lord who directs his steps. All right. We plan all day long what we want to do. We all do it. We all do it. That doesn't mean that's what God wants for us to do. And we get confused on that. James 4 and 13 says, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow. This is what they were saying at the time. I'm going to go into the city and continue there for a year. And then I'm going to buy and sell and I'm going to make profit. That's what James said. Only problem is. You don't control tomorrow. And because you don't control tomorrow, you have no idea whether you're going to make a profit or take a loss. You don't control the factors that make tomorrow possible. That's why it's important that instead of you planning all of that, you put it in God's hand because God already knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Hmm. What happens? This is one of those this is one of those questions they ask in college all the time. What happens when an irresistible force hits an unmovable object? Yeah. Yeah. How can God be sovereign and man be free to make choices at the same time? It's one of them philosophical questions that they always ask you, but it's not philosophy. This is theology. God is always in charge. 
All right. But God, in his infinite wisdom and love, gives us the ability to make choices. Let me see if I can make this today plain for you. You and I can get together, as we did a few years ago, and we can go down to Mobile and we can get on the Carnival cruise ship. And when we get on the Carnival cruise ship, ooh, there's so much to do when you get on there. We can make all kinds of choices when we get on that cruise ship, but we cannot control the direction that the ship is going in. All right. We can do everything we want within the sphere that God allows us to make choices. But God's going to move that ship from port to port. When you get in trouble, you start trying to change the port that you're supposed to get into. Yeah, and the only way you're going to do that, somebody need to hear me now, is to get off the ship and get on some other mode of transportation. And some of y'all been on another mode of transportation and wondering why things aren't going well. Well, that's because you got off God's ship. And you still want all the blessings to come to you, even though you're not in the right, let me see if I can use this word, fellowship with the Lord. You still want him to keep blessing you, even though your fellowship is fractured. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about because some of y'all decided this is what I want to do in life. And because God allowed you to make that choice. All right. You figure that he is acceptable of everything else that comes with it. And I came to tell you, if he ain't getting no glory, why is he going to keep on blessing everything that goes with it? If he gives you the ability to do something, it's got to be for kingdom purposes. And if you're not looking for the kingdom purpose in what you're doing, if you're not looking for the community profit in what you're doing, then that means you're only doing it for yourself. And God didn't create you just for you. He didn't give you the blessings you have just for you. Nothing. I don't care how much you benefit from it directly. God didn't raise selfish Christians. It's an inconsistency to think that God just gave you success for success sake. Where is the kingdom benefiting from what God has given you? Well, God do you want me to have a good time? Absolutely, within the line. Yeah, you can have a good time on the ship. It's called a fun ship. Yeah, but when you start having a good time outside the line, well, that's when problems start. So if God is going to be in control, there is a limit to my choices. Let me see if I can make this even more personal. For you. In 19, well, when I was born, when I was born, from the time I was born, there's only one job I've only said I want to do. I want to be a lawyer. I've never even called another job. Got so much, I've told some of y'all, I've told the story before, it got so much to the point that when I got to a certain age, people would ask me, What you gonna do when you grow up, little boy? And my family would answer for me, He gonna be a lawyer. What I wanted for me became what they desired for me as well and started pushing me. These forces started pushing me to that point to by the time I got to Tuskegee, everybody at Tuskegee knew the only reason you come to an engineering school and study political science is you're going to do something else. Everybody else, everybody knew that. So 
when I told him I wanted to be a lawyer, that became the conversation. Spar's going to be a lawyer. Spar's going to be a lawyer. And so I get, and my, my decision to become a lawyer was fairly simple. I simply want to be a, a rich lawyer, trial lawyer. I want to be able to go into court and argue these cases, you know, and make a lot of money. That always came up on the list. And uh, that's what I wanted. Never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined my career the way God made my career. My plan didn't fit God's purpose. It didn't. It only fit my purpose. It only was for me. All right. And so God allowed me in my choices to become a lawyer. And so this is, this year, <laughs> is my 33rd year as an attorney. I've been a lawyer for 33 years. God bless me. Thank you, Lord. But of the 33 years, 27 of them, I've been a judge. Somebody ought to say, I never said I wanted to be a judge. It was never in my thinking that I wanted to be a judge. When the opportunity came up for my first opportunity to be a judicial official, it was because being a lawyer wasn't making me rich. Somebody ought to hear me. It's because Alabama Power had this nasty habit of wanting you to pay your bill every month. And often, I didn't have check enough to pay that bill and the other bills, too. And even though the firm I was in was profitable and we were paying our staff, in the end of the day, when you run a small business and you pay everybody else, if ain't no money left, guess who get left out? And so I got tired of that and the pressure from that made me look at other options, and that's when judicial official, referee, a family court, opportunity came. And the way I know God has blessed me is because the opportunities to serve in the capacities of a judicial official have never come with barriers, for real. Every time, when I look back over 27 years, there have been wrinkles, but there have never been walls. Every time the opportunity came, and I've had frustrations, all right? But every time God made it so, every single time, it didn't matter who reared their head. It didn't matter what they said and how they did things. God always made it so because what I found when I became the judicial officer the first time was a higher purpose. I found that I could legitimately help folk live better. Do better. And my God, what a feeling to be able to fulfill what I wanted and what God wanted me to do. My desires fit his purpose. And God has been faithful in blessing me. Can I tell you that the money that I imagined in my head would be good for me to do as a lawyer pale in comparison? to what God has blessed me to have in this capacity. And he keeps on being good to me, all because 
I keep on doing what he wants me to do. Can I tell you, 27 years, he's been blessing me. When I let go, when I let go of my desire and let God have his way, he still let me make choices in the arena. But the choices had to fit within his purpose, within his plan. And so when God is in control, my choices have limits. Not only that, when God is in control, or because God is in control, my problems have a purpose. My problems have a purpose. God don't just let me go through stuff just to be teaching me something. There's a purpose in terms of example. And perhaps he is trying to teach me too, but there's a greater purpose in what I, what I go through. And I've seen it happen time and time again. Every time there is a barrier, there's a purpose behind the barrier. And God shows me, I'm going to get you through this, but from this, you ought to learn. From this, you ought to show somebody. I'm going to let this happen to you, Andre. But from this, Somebody else is going to get a blessing. See, I know last February, I wasn't as sensitive as I needed to be to folk who had health problems. I know this. I know this. All right? Because if you ain't never really been through nothing, you can't have the concept of what folk going through it are going through. I know what it feels like. To be waiting on results to come back on the tennis. I know what it feels like. And if you ain't never had to go to the doctor and then probe you and stick you. And then you got to wait a week. Wondering what the results say. You know what that feels like now. There's a purpose to it. And the purpose is so I can tell the member who comes up here and holds my hand on the front row and say, I got to have a procedure tomorrow. And I know they're scared. I know, I know they're scared because I would be under the same circumstances. Because it's normal to be scared under those circumstances or uh, they're going to have to put me to sleep. No, that's frightening. Under any circumstance, uh, we found a spot on your kidney. I know what they feel like. I didn't have that pre-February 22. Purpose. There's a purpose even in the problems that God gives to me. And lastly, because God is in control, and, and, and let me tell you this, God sets you up for blessings all the time. And you, you don't even know that he's setting you up. The first time I preached at 45th Street Baptist Church was for an usher's anniversary. In 2002, somebody saw me somewhere preaching when I was at my home church and it came up to me and said, we got this usher's anniversary coming up and we're wondering if you're available to come preach. And I said, as I would have said to anybody at that time, absolutely. Just tell me when and where. God has such a strange sense of timing. You, you can't even know What's happening because you don't have the, the, the ability to see forward. And so I came bebopping in here that day, Karen, and I came. 
The church, the church didn't look nothing like this then. It was a completely different layout then. But I came and I went. The pastor study was on the first floor, right there where the God little angels nursery is. That's what that was, Reverend McLaughlin's. And so I came in uh, right before the service started, Reg, and knocked on the door. And, 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 and he said, come on in. And I said, uh, good afternoon, Doc Andre Sparks. Introduced myself. And we sat there and chatted for a few minutes. And I said, you all right today? He said to me, yeah, I'm good. He said, I just announced my retirement today. I said, for real? Congratulations. Awesome. How many years? He said, I've been here 32 years. I said, well, God bless you, Doc. I'm, you know, congratulations on that. And then I came out here and I preached. I preached the way I preached. And then I left. And then I didn't think no more about it until I got a phone call saying, uh, you know we're looking for a pastor at 45th Street. And I said, yeah, yeah. I, Reverend McLaughlin told me when I was there. Do you mind if we put your name in? I said, what? <laughs> what? I said, well, I, I don't know. I got to pray about that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've been preaching two years. Not even two years at that point. I said, I need to go talk to some folk about this who know more about life than I do. And so I went and talked to the folk who I talked to. They said, you ought to consider that. And so I did. And I called back and said, yeah. Did, did, did I know that God was setting me up? The day I came in here and preached that usher's anniversary, when the pulpit was over here, and I preached from the pulpit over here. I didn't realize he was setting me up to be in this pulpit 19 years later as a pastor. From that one time. That one time. Because I don't even think I came back and preached again. After that one time. That was the only time I ever preached here before I came here being called as a pastor. Because they had a different kind of um, process thanks to Reverend Johnson and his tutoring and guidance, they came, I'm sure, to 45th Street, I mean, to a First Baptist and saw me preach at First Baptist again. I didn't come back here. We didn't have what we call preach-offs. That's what churches do now. They bring different five, six different preachers in and have a preach-off. And then whoever somebody likes better, they get the best job. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. We don't do that. That's not how you do it. Yeah, that's not how you do it. Because somebody gonna like it. Somebody gonna like. Somebody's gonna be liked by everybody. Yeah, and you're never gonna get a consensus on that. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm, my point is this: when God sends you into something, you go into it and you do what you do. You do your best because you never know what He's setting you up for from that opportunity. Say yes to some opportunities, even when they frighten you even when they are things that you're not comfortable with. And if you simply do what you do, God can take what you do and make the rest of it fall in place because he already has. He already has. And so because of that, my choices fell in line with what God's purposes were. And here we are, find ourselves here in this place in March. It'll be 19 years that I've been here, 21 years preaching, and I say, can't nobody do that but God. 
And the last thing I want to tell you is this. Because God is in control, my prayers have power. Because he's in control. Because I'm praying, and when I'm praying, I'm praying according to God's will. See, my prayers ain't going to have no power if I pray in my will. But when I pray in God's will, and that's where we mess up. We keep praying for I won't. I won't. Lord, do this because I, I won't. And what we need to pray is, Lord, let me do what you want. Let me be with what you want. Let me go where you want me to go. Let me do it how you want me to do it. Put your will in his will. Pray according to his purpose, his plan. And then he'll align what you want with what he wants. That's how God blesses you. And because of that, you are, play, you are praying with power. Watch this. We can say, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that's working within us. Can I tell you this? You can't pray a prayer that's bigger than God can answer. You can't. You can't. You are, you are limited by what you can even ask for. And he can do infinitely more than you can ask for. But if you ask for it in his will, then he takes yours to the limit that it'll be, and then he blesses it. That's how you come out better than you ever thought you could because it's almost as if your prayer was turbocharged when it hits God's will. Understand that he's keeps on blessing you, but you got to let go and let God have his way. Only thing that's going to be impacted by what we're doing down here is eternal opportunities for other people. The rest of this stuff is going to fall away. Your success on this side will mean nothing. Who you were, where you were, what you did, what your title was. But what will have eternal consequences is how you lead someone to an eternal life with Jesus Christ. And you'll be able to see the product of your work on the other side. You'll be able to see people who you never thought would have been there in the first place. Because guess what? At a certain point, maybe people didn't think you would be there. Yeah, you weren't born with a ticket to heaven. No, no, you had to claim that on this side. You had to claim that. You had to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of y'all have done that. It's when God says this, and I, I want you to take this out of here, and then I'm out of your way. It's when God said no to David, not when God says yes. Not when he said yes, that things turned around. As good as things had been in David's life from a human standpoint, it's only when he said he was told no that he started to grow. Only when he start, was told no by God that he aligned his will with what God wanted him to do. He planned the temple, Solomon built it, but it was only after he was told no. I wonder what limitations would have been put in place if he had actually built the temple himself. But God wouldn't allow that to happen. Why? Because the temple was for God. It wasn't for David. And if David had built the temple, it would have been for David and not for God. And God straightened it out. So you shouldn't think for one second that knowing who's in control 
Doesn't matter. I came to tell you today, knowing that God is in control is the difference maker in your life. But the only way God's power can be manifested in your life is if you came today and have decided this day in 2023 to let go. And let God let him have his his way. Soon as I stop worrying, wondering how the story ends. He sang it, but I'm asking you to live it. I'm asking you today to let it go. Let yesterday go. The opportunity is here for you today to start afresh, anew, anew. You can, as old as you are, you can still start new today. You can let go of some old way of thinking. You can let go of some old hurts. You can let go of some, some old relationships that have not benefited you. You can do it. Let go and then let God renew opportunities for you. He'll find you some new folk to fellowship with. He'll find you new work to do for kingdom building. But you got to let, let go and let him have his way. Somebody here today came with one thought on their mind. I need to start new. I want a new start. New year, new start. But you got to have the courage to let somebody else be in control today. I'm standing here and I'm empowered by the highest offices in heaven to extend an invitation to you to join the fellowship of those who have crossed the line from unbelief to belief, from not being in fellowship to being in fellowship with him. If you believe today that Jesus Christ came and lived for you as a babe, died for you on the cross as a savior and was resurrected, then I invite you today to make that public confession. The doors of our churches have been, of our church has been flung open. And I invite you to come right now. Those who will come, we invite you to be a part of this fellowship. Those who want to be a part of this church family, we invite you to come too. But I'm asking for bigger than this church family. I'm talking about God's family. Whosoever will, that'll come right now.